Thank you, Pastor Brian. Great to see you today, folks. Let me invite you to open your Bible to Mark chapter 5. If you came without one, there should be one under the one of the chairs in front of you, close by. Mark chapter 5 today will be in verses 21 through 43. Let me start off by reading a passage to us and encourage you to join me in following along. Hear the word of the Lord. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease." While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord, his inerrant and authoritative word. Let's pause for a minute and pray as we look further into this uh, amazing account. Father, Give us uh, grace today, open our eyes and ears to hear, your, hear and see uh, your truth. We need your quickening spirit to help us 
I need your spirit enabling me to preach your word clearly. Uh, so I do pray you'd strengthen me and strengthen my voice. Father, lead us into the truth this morning. Uh, change us with this living and active uh, word that is sharper than any double-edged sword. Lord, transform us into the image of your Son today. In Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. We uh, come to a third in an ins- a third installment in a series of miracles that Mark has been uh, presenting. The first was uh, about two weeks ago, Jesus displayed his power over nature by uh, stilling a great windstorm on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, The second installment was uh, last Sunday morning, we saw Jesus display his power over over demons, casting out an an army of demons uh, from a man. And then this morning we come to the third, actually it's third and fourth, because there are two miracles here, and here we see Jesus' power over illness and death. Jesus' power over illness and death. He performed these series of miracles to reveal the power and the nearness of God's kingdom. Do you remember what he said Uh, The first words that Mark records out of his mouth in the Gospel of Mark are these. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. And this series of miracles, four of them, is a demonstration of the kingdom of, that the kingdom of God really is at hand, as well as the unstoppable power of that kingdom. And the miracle, miracles in our passage this morning reveal his power over illness and death. Jesus Christ is Lord and Master of illness and death. He rules that realm, the realm of sickness, disease, and death. And we see this power in our passage through three encounters that he has. Uh, Jesus encounters three different people in these verses And through these encounters, we see his power over illness and death put on display for us. The first encounter is between Jesus and Jairus. Jairus comes to Jesus in in desperation, begging him to heal his dying daughter. Mark describes three things to us in this first encounter. First, he just mentions Jesus' location as he begins Notice verse 21 again with me. Look what it says. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. You might recall that last week we were on the, the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee over here at what they have labeled Gergesa. Here's where we saw his power over demons. And you recall that he left Capernaum and this is where he, we saw his power over nature as he stilled the windstorm. But now he's traveled back to his home base here. Uh, pretty much we've seen Jesus uh, so far in the book of Mark centered in this area. We'll see him, saw him spread out a little last week. Uh, next week he's going to travel to Nazareth. But uh, he's back here this morning and uh, uh, back in his home base 
Uh, and again, as before, a large crowd has heard that Jesus has returned. They gather primarily interested in seeing him perform a miracle or cast out a demon. But as we've seen before, they have little interest in what he has to say about the kingdom of God. Uh, they are there for the thrill, uh, so to speak. The second thing that Mark uh, tells us in this first encounter is he describes Jairus' position. Uh, we see Jairus' position in the community. Glance down to verse 22 now. It says, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Uh, this is just one of the rulers of the synagogue, so there apparently in this synagogue is more than one. Uh, one of them was referred to as the attendant, and he took care of the building and its contents. He was the uh, deacon of the synagogue, so to speak. The other man was called the president and sometimes the ruler. He was responsible for the worship and instruction that took place in the synagogue on the Sabbath. We don't know which of these Jairus was, but there's more than one, so he's certainly one of these. Either way, it was an important and highly respected position. He would have been a highly regarded member of the community. And the synagogue that's mentioned is probably the one we saw Jesus visit in chapter 1, and then again in chapter 3, uh, Back in chapter 1, Jesus was invited to stand up and say a word in the synagogue because he was a visiting rabbi. And that led to him casting out a demon in the middle of the service. And then in chapter 3, back in the synagogue again, he heals a man in the synagogue with a deformed hand, violating the rules of the Sabbath that the Pharisees had added to God's word. So Jairus has an idea of who Jesus is exactly who he is, and probably not very fond of him for disrupting his service on two occasions. And yet look at what he does as verse 22 continues. And seeing him, he fell at his feet. Imagine such an important man with such a high status in the community, uh, someone, say, above your station, humbly falling down at the feet of Jesus Christ, who could be called his opponent at this point. How do we explain this even bizarre change in his behavior? Well, Mark tells us that he came out of desperation. He describes his desperation in verse 23. And implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Very striking words that Jairus uses. His, his young daughter is dying. And Luke adds in his record that this is Jairus' only daughter. And she's not merely sick. As he said, she is at the very end. She is at her extremity. She is at death's door. She is at the end of hospice care. And having seen Jesus display his power right before his very eyes in the synagogue, he comes to him 
in his time of need. And, and what he says here is remarkable. Uh, Lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Uh, this was his only chance to save his daughter. And so we see in these words, come and lay your hands on her. The very beginnings of faith in Jairus, we could call it infant faith. But yet he comes to Jesus, bows at his feet, and pleads for the life of his 12-year-old daughter. This is a first encounter. Jesus and Jairus. And we see where this takes place, the location. We see Jairus' position and we see his desperation, especially trying to save his only daughter. In the middle of this encounter between Jesus and Jairus, a second encounter takes place. And this is between Jesus and the woman. Uh, Jesus and the woman, and here we see desperation again. A, a desperate woman presses through the crowd to simply touch Jesus. And Mark, again, will mention three things here. He, uh, at some length, describes her condition to us. He mentions, first of all, her physical condition. Uh, beginning in the middle of verse 24, it's a new paragraph in the ESV. It says, And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, this woman had been hemorrhaging, that is, bleeding internally for over a decade. Uh, a long, long time. This would... Uh, directly affect her social condition. Though Mark doesn't describe her social condition, we can conclude from the word of God that her physical condition would have directly affected her social standing. According to Le Leviticus 15, this constant uh, bleeding would have made her ceremonially unclean, as unclean as a leper would be. And this would have excluded her from attending the synagogue. This would have excluded her from being in contact with people because her uncleanness could be uh, directly uh, spread to other people who touched her. No religious Jew would have, would have had contact with her. And so she became an outcast. We see her financial condition uh, Mark describes her financial condition for us in verse 26, and, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She'd explored every avenue of treatment uh, available, some of which were superstitious and foolish. Listen to these examples from Jewish tradition. Uh, it says, take of the gum of Alexandria, the weight of a small silver coin, of alum, the same, of crocus, the same. Let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman that has an issue of blood. If this does not benefit, take of Persian onions three pints, boil them in, boil them in wine and give her to drink and say, arise from thy flux, or her issue, as it were. 
if this does not cure her, I like this next one especially, if this does not cure her, set her in a place where two ways meet. And let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand and let someone come from behind and frighten her and say, Arise from thy flux. Well, <clears throat> as entertaining as that would be to observe, uh, nothing she has attempted has worked and she has spent her entire savings. But unfortunately, the medical profession uh, still in its infancy, infancy and doctors simply lack the skill to treat her internal bleeding. It's not that they were out uh, to make her worse. They just didn't know how to treat her. And the, and the result is that she is now destitute. But then take note of her spiritual condition because this is where there is a, a glimmer of light. And we again see the beginnings of faith, infant faith again. And look with me at verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her diseases. disease. She heard the report about Christ and acted on it. Uh, she, she heard the news that Christ could heal and acting in faith, very similar to Jairus, acting in faith, she came to him. It's frankly amazing that she had any hope at all at this point. But driven by her desperation and trusting in the word she had heard, she came to Christ. It's like Rabbi's faith, uh, excuse me, Rahab's faith, in the book of Joshua, uh, where the two spies came to her uh, to spy out the city of Jericho, and she hid them. And this is what she told the spies. This is very similar to what this woman has just said. I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab had, had heard the report of God's activity, what he had done for Israel. And she acted on it. And this woman is doing something very similar, uh, just as uh, the word praised Rahab for her faith. Uh, this woman can also be praised for hearing and acting on it. And from her uh, condition, Mark goes further in this account, and he describes the frustration of the disciples very understandably frustrated, uh, their frustration and irritation with Jesus. Now look at verse 30 with me. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And, and now think of this. This is not a polite crowd. There are people, they're, they're touching. This is a claustrophobic nightmare. 
uh, an introvert's nightmare. They're smashed together. It's, it's like the time I went to Six Flags to go to one of those Christian concerts, and oh, I mean, I was practically shoulder to shoulder. I think the group was Audio Adrenaline or Michael W. Smith. And I think it was there after I resolved I would never go back to Six Flags. <laughs> it was just uh, too, too close for comfort, literally. And, and where did I stop? Verse 31. Well, Jesus said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? As if to say, everybody's touching you. Uh, how could he possibly ask, who touched me? And it's not mentioned here, but we might, I think, fairly safely conclude that Jairus is also probably coming unhinged at this moment as Jesus pauses in this desperate trip back to his house to, to lay hands and heal his daughter. Like an ambulance stuck in traffic. But this encounter with the woman had purpose. And one purpose of this encounter was to grow and stretch the infinite faith, uh, the, the infant faith, excuse me, to grow and stretch the infant faith of Jairus as he observes what happens to this woman. Uh, Jesus did something similar when Lazarus was dying. He delayed. Do you recall? He delayed his journey so that the Son of God might be glorified. And have you ever considered that this is what Christ might be doing with you? In your frustration over how absent he seems. And your frustration over prayer that's gone unanswered for you don't know how long. Have you considered that he might be attempting something similar to grow and stretch your faith in him, just as he's trying to do here with Jairus? Well, from frustration, Mark goes on to describe her confession to us. And in fear and trembling, she makes a full confession to Jesus. And this is in verse 32. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Why fear and trembling? And why does she come falling down before him? Well, of course, obviously, because she knows she's just been healed. But according to the Old Testament law, her touch had just made Jesus unclean. She had just transmitted her spiritual uncleanness to a holy man. And that's not all. She transmitted her uncleanness to everyone she had bumped into. And so she comes in fear and trembling and reveals everything, how she had been bleeding for 12 years and how this had made her an outcast and how she had no money left and how she heard reports and how believing those reports she'd come 
daring to hope that he would heal her. Do you think faith like that, infant faith, imperfect faith, do you think that would have pleased the Lord? There's a little, maybe even superstition mixed in with her faith. Would that have pleased him? Look at his reply. And he said to her, verse 34, daughter, it's a term of intimacy now. And he can now address her as daughter. Your faith has made you well. Not that her faith was perfect. It, it seems to have been imperfect faith. And not that she had a large amount of faith. It was the object of her faith that was the key. It was what her faith took hold of. And what her faith took hold of was Christ. He's the one who healed her. Not her touch. Not his clothes, but Christ himself. Your faith has made you well. And that indicates permanence. Made you well. The tense of that verb indicates uh, permanent, ongoing healing. And finally, go in peace. Be healed of your disease. Likely the first time she had a moment's peace in 12 years. Maybe you think, feel you have weak and imperfect faith today. And you struggle to believe like... You struggle, struggle to believe that he can free you from your sin. Or you struggle to believe that he can actually help in your situation. And with those struggles, should you still come to Christ... Should you still dare to approach him with imperfect faith? Yes. Yes. Approach him with weak faith. Come trembling, but come. Will he turn us away and tell us to come back later when we have a little more faith? He will not. Because it's not the amount of faith that matters. It's the object of our faith that's important. Come to him with your weak and imperfect faith for, for the forgiveness of your sins. Come to, your, come to him with your weak and imperfect faith with whatever your situation is. And what will you find? What J.C. Ryle tells us, the Savior of the Christian is always set before us as gentle and easy to be entreated. The healer of the brokenhearted, the refuge of the weak and helpless, the comforter of the distressed, the sick man's best friend. Remember what he said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And some of us this morning need to come like this woman and tell him everything. Come with, come with our doubts, 
come with our superstitions, but come. It is not the amount of your faith, but the object. And by faith, lay hold of Christ, and he will not turn you away. This is the second encounter, Jesus and the woman. And we've seen her condition and the frustration from his men. And then we hear her confession. There's one more encounter in our passage today. And that is between Jesus and the little girl. Uh, Jesus and the little girl. And at the news of his daughter's death, Jesus urges Jairus to greater trust, greater faith. And again, there's three things in this encounter too. Uh, the, and the first thing we encounter is her death in verse uh, 35. We see her death described. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So humanly speaking, all hope is lost. Uh, and Jairus has Nothing humanly speaking to put his hope in now, but human despair, human despair is often the very thing God uses to show himself strong on our behalf. That drives me crazy. Human despair is often the very thing God uses to show himself strong on our behalf. And this little girl's death was necessary for Jesus to reveal himself as Lord over illness and death. And, and look at the way Jesus responds in verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Don't cave into fear, Jairus. Resist the temptation to be afraid. Only believe. Jairus, think of what you've just seen happen. Think of how the woman was just healed from her hemorrhaging. Jairus, don't be afraid. Only believe. Take that infant faith. I'm stretching it for you. Jairus, don't just believe now for healing. Believe for resurrection. Believe for resurrection. So Mark describes the death of the girl, and, and next we, we encounter her mourners, the uh, group who are uh, mourning for her in, in verse 37. And he allowed, Jesus that is, allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion or a tumult or an uproar people weeping and wailing loudly. As strange as it may sound, Jewish people actually paid people outside their family to come and mourn uh, when a loved one died. And, and these people would weep and wail, and they would even tear their clothes as a sign of mourning. One Jewish tradition di dictates that even the poorest family should hire at least two flute players and one wailing woman. Jairus has a little more disposable income, and so he's able to afford several mourners. And according to, to verse 38, they're making quite a racket, as my father would put it. 
they're making an uproar. And look at how Jesus responds in verse 39. And when he had, when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. What does he mean, sleeping? Does this mean she wasn't really dead, but maybe just in a coma? Sleeping in, in Scripture, uh, in the Bible, is often used as a euphemism, a more polite way to put it, uh, to refer to death. We even use a euphemism when we say someone has passed. It's used especially with those who later will be awakened. And so, for example, listen to Paul use the same uh, euphemism or metaphor in 1 Thessalonians 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In this context, he's referring to uh, deceased believers who would be awakened at the Lord's return. And Jesus is using sleeping in a different way, uh, in, in, in a similar way rather, in, here in Mark 5, to indicate this little girl would soon be awakened. And, and this is, for us, a mini-preview of what will happen in 1 Thessalonians 4. What will happen to you and me if we live until the Lord returns? And they laugh at him. The mourners quickly turn into mockers. And that they can do that shows they feel very little sorrow, genuine sorrow, that is, for Jairus and his family nor do they believe Jesus is Lord over illness and death. And so we see this group of mourners that mock, and then we see her resurrection. We see her raised from the dead. Again, verse 40. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, Aramaic, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. I think the most important aspect of this miracle is how Christ raised the little girl. Verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her. He raises her from the dead through his spoken word. We, we know that illness and death came as a result of Adam and Eve's sin in Genesis 3. As part of sin's curse, you and I live in a world filled with bacteria and germs, which, uh, some of which enter our bodies and cause infection and illness. 
It would be, it would be well over a thousand years before Louis Pasteur came along to discover uh, the cause and prevention of diseases. And God, in his kind providence, raised that man up to develop vaccines for rabies and anthrax that would go on to save millions of lives. But we're in northern Galilee, friend. We're a long way from that. It's the first century. Medical science is in its infancy, as, as far as I know, illness and disease are frequent, and the infant mortality rate was very high, and life expectancy very low. And in this setting, Jesus raises this little girl through a spoken command. Think of what, what happens in this command. He's ordering atoms and molecules to reverse their course of action. He's ordering germs and bacteria to leave her body. He's ordering her brain to start functioning again. The complexity of, of what had to take place in her little body to live again is simply staggering. And it all happens because he said a word. I've shared with you, I can't even get my dog to obey me. And there's only one person who could have done this. Jesus Christ, the Lord of illness and death. Because nature obeys him. The demons obey him. And illness and death obey him. Listen to Dr. Sproul describe it. God brought the whole world into creation by the sound of his voice. By decree by imperative. Christ brought Lazarus out of the tomb by his oral command. In the same way Jesus spoke in Aramaic to this little girl in her state of death and commanded her to rise and again his almighty word was effective. In this third encounter we see clearly Jesus as the Lord of illness and death. Uh, through her death, her mourners, and finally, her resurrection. This is his power over disease and death that Mark has shown us through these three encounters. Jesus and Jairus, Jesus and the woman, and Jesus and the little girl. And through these three encounters, the power of God's kingdom is put on display. The power of Christ, the Lord and master of illness and death, is revealed to us. And so how do we put this into practice? I think... To begin with, there are some Christians who are just so familiar with, with some of these accounts that, that they don't mean anything anymore. And maybe there's a, there's a measure of unbelief. And you, you perhaps have been a believer a while and you've been in church a while, but, but maybe you're a little jaded and you're a little tired of everything. 
and you miss the fact that, that a dead person came back to life. A dead person came back to life. I mean, a, a dead, dead person came back to life. Have you ever seen that? You've never seen that. And nobody you know has ever seen that. It's astounding. And we all, in a sense, should be smacking our foreheads because this is incredible. And it happens because he tells it to. Oh my goodness, friend. That should leave us stunned. And, and my prayer for you is that you'll walk out here maybe a little more stunned. And maybe as you go throughout the afternoon, you, you should pray to, uh, and ask the Lord to bring back the wonder of this. Have your kid read it to you. And, and tell them that, yeah, this person was dead, dead. I mean, no coming back dead. And, and the man was weeping because he'd lost his child. And she's back in his arms now because Jesus told her to. Lord, bring back our wonder for, for these miracles. For the stilling of the storm, for casting out a demon for healing a woman's sickness by a mere touch, and for raising a girl from the dead. May God do that in each of us. And a second application, friend. This power is no joke. This power is no joke. And I can confidently say that you ain't seen nothing yet. There's a coming a day when he will come in a great display of power and glory. And if you know Christ, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you've turned from your sin, not just said the sinner's prayer, just look that up for me in Scripture. You'd be amazed. It's not in the Bible. Have you trusted in Christ's death on the cross? And turn to him in repentance of faith because, friend, he's, he's going to come back. He's promised he will return and it will blow your mind. Pardon the expression. Are you ready for that? And, friend, I pray that the Spirit jars you loose and shows you that if he could do this, then there is much more he can do and he will. He will return. But if you know him, you don't need to fear that day. But if you don't, look out, because that power is no joke. I urge you and plead with you to trust in Christ today, to turn from your sin and and cast your whole weight on what he did on the cross. I'm not, we don't have altar calls. We're not going to wring our hands until somebody comes forward. We're not going to sing just as I am. You can do it right where you're sitting, and you can do it right now. 
just by turning to him and turning away from sin to rely on what he did as the payment for your sin. And lastly, lastly, friend, people need to hear about this power. Oh, tell your kids about this power. Look at this. She was dead, dead. And she came back alive. Your friends need to hear that about, your children need to hear about this power. Your friends need to hear about this power and, and Christ's power to, to transform their lives and save them from their sin. Friend, tell it. Tell it to those in your world. Christ, we thank you that you are an almighty and powerful God. And we rejoice to call you our God and our Savior. And thank you that you are Lord of all, Lord of nature, Lord over demons, and Lord over illness and death. And we look for, forward to the day where you will put it all on display at your return. Jesus, strengthen us with your grace. We ask in your name. Amen.